encourage you to turn in your Bibles this morning with me to the book of Romans, the 14th chapter. We are in a series about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus as Lord. And we're looking at that phrase, at that title, Jesus as Lord, where it takes on a central role in particular passages. We started out in Romans chapter 10, and then we also looked at Mark chapter 12, where both passages really uh, highlight for us that Jesus as Lord means that He is God. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And in that section, the Apostle Paul is challenging people that in order to be in right relationship with God, there's only one way. That is to have a faith righteousness, not a works righteousness. A faith righteousness recognizes that in and of ourselves, we cannot be good enough to be in right relationship with God. And that through faith in the person of Jesus Christ, believing that he is God, that he died on the cross as payment for sin and rose again from the dead, proving that he is God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can enter into right relationship with God because at the moment we put our trust in him, his payment for sin is credited to the life of our accounts and we are declared to be right with God. In order to be right with God, one must believe in Jesus as Lord, meaning that he is God. In Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 44, Jesus uses that phrase in regard to himself, showing that he is the God-man. If Jesus was not man, he would not have been able to die for our sins. If Jesus is not God, he would not be able to rise again from the dead. He is the God-man. And because Jesus is who he is, the reality of Jesus as Lord calls his disciples to life-altering choices. The reality of Jesus as Lord has everything to say about how you and I live our everyday lives. Last week we saw in Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus referring to himself as Lord of the Sabbath. And in that passage we noted that ultimately Jesus has authority over all areas of life. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were being so critical of Jesus' disciples, they missed out on who he is. They did not recognize his authority over their lives. And we noted that today, as believers, if we exemplify a critical spirit, we too are missing out on fully recognizing Jesus' authority over our lives. Well, this morning we come to the book of Romans. And in the 14th chapter, the first 12 verses, we find ourselves in the last major section of the book. 
a section that is challenging the original recipients of the letter and us on how we should respond to the mercy shown to us through Jesus Christ. We are purchased people. When Jesus died on that cross and rose again from the dead, at the moment we put our trust in him, we are freed from our bondage to sin. We are purchased. We are bought. We belong to him. It's no mistake that in this section, talking about how we should respond to the mercy bestowed upon us, how we should respond to the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ because he has purchased us with his blood. There's no mistake that Jesus as Lord takes on a central role. And we want to see that this morning. This section from chapter 12, verse 1 through the middle of chapter 15 is talking about transformation. The reality of Jesus as Lord has everything to do with how we live our daily lives. And this morning in chapter 14, we are talking about the relation of Jesus as Lord to how we treat each other within the family of God. How we view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church, how we accept one another. You see, this passage is talking about transformation as it relates to Christian liberty. We are not talking about overt sin in this passage. This passage is not saying that a brother or sister in Christ should overlook sin in the life of another brother or sister in Christ. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 would speak against that, where the Apostle Paul says, hey, if you've got a brother or sister in Christ who's caught up in any trespass, you with a spirit of gentleness and reverence should come alongside of that one to help restore that one. No, this is a passage talking about differences in how we view matters of the conscience as we live out our daily lives before the Lord. And the Paul's point is this. Jesus as Lord should affect how we view our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to read the chapter, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. You can follow along in your copy of the scripture. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand for on the for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above every other; another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He observes the day, observes it for the Lord. 
He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, not one of us dies, excuse me, not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Jesus as Lord has everything to do with how we view our brothers and sisters in Christ. It has everything to do with how we accept our brothers and sisters in Christ. This past fall, I had the privilege of doing a funeral for my good friend, Paul. Paul was a dairy farmer. And in the 1980s, in the financial crisis that happened in the egg world, Paul had to stop farming and sold everything and started driving school bus. So when I knew Paul, he drove school bus and he helped maintain the city park. If you were to ask people in Paul's community, what stands out in your mind about Paul? I guarantee you most people eventually would say something to the effect of, Paul cares for people. Paul did not become a Christian until adulthood. He was out at his farm, and the local evangelical free church pastor came out to help Paul dress chickens. Now, if you are a city-dominated person, that does not mean that you put little hats and coats on chickens. It means you butcher chickens. And the pastor came out to help Paul butcher chickens. And in the process, he shared with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul placed his trust in Jesus. And from that moment on, Paul's life started to change. And it wasn't easy for him. His family disowned him. His extended family. Paul was very conscious of how much he was forgiven. In his particular community, there were differences in how Christians viewed certain days over other days. For example, in that egg-based community, some Christians said, you are never allowed to do any farm work on Sunday. Some had a modified position. You can't do any farm work except during harvest. 
And then some had a more liberal position. Hey, one day's not any different than the rest. I don't have any problem taking my tractor all at all. And it was amazing how much discussion could take place over that particular question in that community. But Paul never got worked up about those things. You see, because Paul knew so much about how much he had been forgiven, how much he was a recipient of grace, he was gracious to those around him. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul wants to challenge us with in this section is the fact that because those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ serve a Lord who died for us and rose again, proving that He is God, His Lordship has everything to say about how we treat each other within the church family. And Paul is going to challenge us that to yield ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ means that we are gracious with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to look at this, these 12 verses in three sections. The first section of which is verses 1 through 4. And we're going to see Paul simply challenge brothers and sisters in Christ that they should mutually accept one another without disdain by the strong or a critical spirit by the weak. Notice with me, verse 1 of chapter 14 begins with a little connecting word, now. And when Paul uses that little word here, it's a transition word saying he's starting a new a topic within this section, a topic which goes from chapter 14, verse 1, through chapter 15, verse 13, where he is talking about Christian liberty as it relates to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And Paul says this, Now, accept the one who is weak in faith. Most likely what's going on is that there is a specific issue going on in the church in Rome. Most likely there are some of the members of the church, those who have put their trust in Jesus, who have come out of Jewish backgrounds. They are either Jews themselves or they are God-fearers, meaning they were Gentiles who came to faith in God via Israel's religion. They became proselytes to Judaism. Most likely, who these weaker ones are, are those within the church in Rome who, even though they have come to faith in Jesus, they are Christians, they still think that they are underneath some of the regulations, the restrictions of the Old Testament law. And the church in Rome has labeled them the weaker ones. Those who have self-labeled themselves the stronger ones 
most likely are Gentiles who never felt an obligation to the Old Testament ceremonial laws, the dietary restrictions, the observances of some days as being holy. They never had put themselves underneath those restrictions and they see no reason to now. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. So Paul is talking to two groups of people. Those who are self-proclaimed stronger ones and those who have been dubbed the weaker ones. And here Paul says to the stronger, accept the one who is weak in faith. Now this person's a Christian. Their faith in Jesus Christ is sure, but they have not come to grips yet with the ramifications of the cross as it pertains to the Old Testament law. Here, Paul tells the stronger, you accept them. Now that means much more than you tolerate them. Actually, the word connotes the idea of bringing this person into your home. Uh, bringing this person into your circle. You value them enough to consider them as one of you. And so he challenged those who consider themselves to be strong in conscience to welcome in to their close circle those who they consider to be weak in conscience. Notice he says, not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. If you have a New International Version, the NIV translates that Greek word, uh, disputed matters. And we see at least three different disputed matters in Romans chapter 14. Here in verse 2, he's talking about eating meat. And some who choose not to eat meat most likely are fearful that the meat had not been uh, dealt with or prepared according to Jewish law and all the restrictions on how meat should be handled. We also see in verse 5 that another disputed matter is the observance of days. Maybe some of these Roman Christians are feeling like the Sabbath regulations need to be carried over to the Lord's Day on Sunday. Other believers say, hey, Every day should be viewed as God's day. And then we even see down in verse 21 that the drinking of wine is considered to be one of these disputed matters when Paul says in verse 21, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. So we have these disputed matters within this local church in Rome. The apostle Paul challenges them in two ways. And we see it in verse 3. He tells the stronger brother not to despise the weaker brother. And he tells the weaker brother not to judge the stronger brother. Not to have an attitude of like, hey, we are the remaining faithful few to Jesus Christ. All of the rest of you are not really faithful to Jesus. Paul says, don't do that. Why? Look with me at verse 3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. See the little connecting word for? This is because. This answers the reason why. Why? For God has accepted him. 
You see, the one who approaches God through faith in Jesus Christ has been accepted by the Father. He accepts Him. And so, Paul says that the one who is stronger in conscience is doing what he's doing out of love for Jesus. The one who's weaker in conscience is doing what he's doing out of love for Jesus. Don't be looking down on the one who has a weaker conscience. Don't be looking with disdain toward the one who, or judging the one who has a stronger conscience. Verse 4 says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. You see, we are saved by grace, but we live the Christian life by grace. It's all by his enabling power. Paul says to the strong and to the weak, accept each other. I have a good friend He's been my friend for years and years, who is a professor and an assistant dean over a, one of the colleges at a major university. He grew up overseas. He grew up as an MK, a missionary kid. His mother and father loved Jesus Christ, completely sold out to Jesus. And my buddy has told the story about how he remembers the day when he was with his parents at a restaurant. And unbeknownst to his dad, the food had been prepared with some alcohol. His dad found out that alcohol had been used in the preparation of his food, and he immediately got it from the table, went outside, and forced himself to throw up. Because... His father believed that he was sinning against God by ingesting that alcohol. Now, we would look at that today and say, well, is that really rational? I mean, the alcohol cooks out of the food. Do you really feel like you needed to do that? That's not what we should be looking at. This man, out of his love for Jesus Christ, did in his conscience what he felt he should do before the Lord. And Paul is saying, you accept that brother or sister in the Lord. You welcome them in your home. You welcome them into your circle. You accept him. Don't look down on him. He tells the weaker brother, don't view yourself as the last of the righteous remnant. Just because you choose not to do things and other people do, don't look at them with disdain. Don't feel like, well, they're not committed to Jesus Christ. You see, both groups of people are only able to live for the Lord by His sustaining grace anyway. And Paul challenges this church in Rome to be accepting of each other. Now, as we come to verses 5 through 9, Paul gets to the heart of his argument. And the heart of his argument revolves around the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's saying both the strong and the weak should do what they do for the Lord. 
Notice verse 5. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and give thanks and gives thanks to God. You see, both the weaker and the stronger brother and sister in the Lord should be making their decisions, should be viewing their decisions through the grid of, will this please the Lord? Verses 7 through 9 gets to the heart. For not one of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He is Lord over us, over every area of our life, and He has the right to rule when it's time for us to go be with Him. He's Lord over life and over death. And then Paul says this in verse 9, To this end, Christ died and lived again. He died on the cross and rose from the dead for this purpose, that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Since Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he is declared to be God himself. And as God himself, Jesus Christ has the right to rule. He has the right to rule your life. He has the the right to rule my life. He has the right to rule over every aspect of your life and over your death. And every aspect of my life and over my death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives him the right to rule. So Paul says, be convinced in your own heart. One of the issues that we have as Christians is so often we are making decisions, doing things, thinking things, coming up with convictions without really asking the right questions. And the right question is, what is pleasing to the Lord? My wife and I, as we raised our three sons, have had a conviction in our home that our sons should only date Christian girls. And we have held that as a firm conviction. One, we believe that the purpose of dating is to find a spouse. So why would you go on a date with a non-Christian? Because the scriptures are clear. The end of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7 says that we are free to marry whoever we desire, but only in the Lord. We are only to marry someone who has a common faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So our conviction has been, if that is the end goal, You should not go out on a date with someone who's not a Christian. Now that's our conviction. Does that mean that another set of parents could have a different set of convictions over that? Maybe another set of parents does not see an issue with their child going out on a date with someone who has not placed their faith in Jesus. If they allow that, does that make them sin? No. And it's wrong for me to be critical of them in their parenting. But our conviction in our home 
was that, sons, you should only go on a date with another Christian girl. When it really gets interesting is when mom and dad held a conviction that your children don't necessarily hold. And that's why when you hit my age, you have no more hair. No, it, 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 it's always a challenge, isn't it? Within our within our church community, we hold convictions about different things. And the Apostle Paul here challenges us. We belong to the Lord. He has the right to rule over us. Therefore, each one of us should be convinced in our own mind, in our own heart, about the decisions we make, the choices we make, the positions that we hold. Is this honoring to the Lord? Is this belief about this particular issue built on a biblical foundation? Am I doing this for the Lord or just because this is what I want to do? You see, ultimately Paul is going to say, bottom line, there's only one judge and it's not me. There's only one judge, and it's not you. In fact, in verses 10 through 12, Paul says, uh, By the way, if you want to think about something, think about this. Each and every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ, one day are going to stand before Jesus Christ as Lord and give an account for how we have served him here on earth. And that's his point in verses 10 through 12. The fact that all of us will give an account to the Lord for how we have served Him, how we've lived our lives, should keep us from judging each other. Notice with me verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The Greek word translated judgment seat here is actually used several places in the New Testament to talk about a civil court, a, 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 a judge within Rome there, uh, or other places in the ancient Near East. For example, it's used in Matthew twenty-seven nineteen, John chapter 19, verse 3, Acts chapter 12, verse 21. Here, the Apostle Paul invests it with a theological purpose and says, each of us have to stand before the judge. And we are going to give an account for how we have served the Lord. We can read about that. In passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 13 through 15. Passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. I'm going to turn there. Remember as I turn, this is not a judgment determining if I'm going to get into heaven or not. No, that he's talking to Christians here. This is a judgment that each and every Christian will face. We will all give an account for how we've served the Lord. In John, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So Paul says this, Why are you judging your brother? Maybe you should be thinking about the fact that you are going to stand before the judge. 
fact, Paul goes on in verse 11 and quotes Isaiah 45, 12, just to instill the truth that there's only one judge and it's not me. There's only one judge and it's not you. It's God himself. So he concludes in verse 12, So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Two weekends ago, my oldest son called me up and said, Dad, I really need Grandpa's desk. Well, I said, Son, I'd be happy to give that desk to you. Unbeknownst to him, I'm so tired of this mammoth desk. It weighs a ton. And so I told my son, As long as you can get some brawn, if you can get some muscle, it's yours. Well, I gave him the desk. He fell a little short on getting the brawn. And so I ended up having to help him move this desk. And we loaded this mammoth thing into my pickup. We carefully engineered it up around the curvature of his stairwell to get it upstairs to his office. But he needs this mammoth desk because he's studying for his actuary exams and he's got this 2,000-page manual and he's got study guides and he has all this stuff spread out. Well, that desk has a lot of history with me. In fact, Barbara said to my son, you better be careful where you place that desk because the placement is very important. You see, that desk is the place where I used to have come to Jesus meetings with my dad. All of my formative years, my father was always working on an advanced degree. He held two earned doctorates, the first in theology and the second one from the University of Nebraska in educational administration. So all of my life, my dad had to study in the evenings. It was not a rare occasion for me to be summoned to my dad. He'd be on one side of the desk, I'd be on the other. I soon learned that it didn't cut it for me to say, the girls made me do it. Even though they had. 99% of the time, oh, those sisters. But for some reason, my dad never allowed that as an excuse. In fact, he, he never really was too interested in me saying, well, you should see what Linda did or you should see what Sharon did. No, that really just didn't go very far with my dad. He was more interested in what I did. In reality, I have very fond memories of a loving dad who sat across that desk for me, that cared enough for me to confront me. And one day, each and every one of us are going to sit before our Lord as judge. And it's not going to be a time for us to say, well, I know I wasn't the greatest in following you, but man, did you see this person? No, that's not going to work. Because each of us will give an account for our own life. So here the Apostle Paul is charging us. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, it proves he's God. And at the moment I put my trust in him, believing that he is God, that he died for me and rose again. At that moment, he purchased me. 
He purchased me out of the bondage of sin, out of my fear of death. I belong to Him. I'm redeemed. I'm purchased. He becomes my Lord. Whether I recognize it or not, He's Lord. And here the Apostle Paul is charging us. Because of His resurrection, He has the right to rule. He has the right. And you and I, in recognizing that right to rule, recognize that one day I will give an account. You will give an account to the Lord for how we've served Him. How can I judge a brother when I one day will face my judge? How can I treat my brother or sister with contempt when the Apostle Paul here shares with us, the Lord has accepted my brother or sister. Now Paul says we need to view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ through the lens of the Lordship of Jesus. Because then when we view each other through the Lordship of Jesus, we view each other through the lens of grace. And we accept each other. And we don't have a critical spirit and we don't look toward each each other with a judgmental heart because of the Lordship of Jesus. You may be here today, and we've talked quite a bit about being in right relationship with God. You may not know what that means, or maybe you don't know for sure if that's true in your life. I would encourage you after the service, we have a prayer room right behind you. Just feel free to stop in there. One of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders will be there, can give you some material that you can take home and read in your own Bible, verses of Scripture that assure you assure you how you can know that you are in right relationship with God. Or you may be here and you're burdened today. Please take some time in the prayer room before you leave, just praying with a brother in the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you that Jesus as Lord has everything to do with how we live our lives, how we view our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that his resurrection proves he is God It proves that Jesus is Lord. Help us to yield every aspect of our hearts to his rule. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.